Welcome everyone to Keep Hope Alive, starring yours truly, Tony Derillis. This podcast is about a genuine, authentic experience about a young man navigating the foster care system and making it to the other side, defying statistics. This podcast covers former and current foster youth, not just in New York City, but across the country. Tony shares all of what's happening in foster care to uplift and empower foster youth, foster parents, agency staff, and social workers. Keep hope alive. Until next time. Hey, what's up? It's your host, Tony Derillis. Thanks for dropping by. Some quick updates. The FISA, better known as Fostering Youth Success Alliance, will be having their advocacy day, which I'm disappointed I won't be attending. It's their fifth anniversary dating back to 2015. Advocacy day will be all about talking to legislative politicians and getting them to continue supporting foster youth who are interested in pursuing a higher education. Nationwide, most foster youth do not get their college degree. Uh, so that's something that they're really trying to change the scope of. So shout outs to them, all the staff, lawmakers, but most importantly, the young people who also share their personal stories and make a positive change in the lives of young people for generations to come. Another thing to note was the Youth Advisory Board focus group that happened last week on the 23rd with New Yorkers for Children. It talked a lot about what is the youth, what is a youth advisory board, what are some changes that need to be done, and how to go about improving it moving forward. I'll be dropping a quick EP on how I think things went and the direction of why I be moving forward. And I'll also just be doing my own segment on what is a youth advisory board and my own experiences for that. So stay tuned. And yeah, that's about it for all the updates. So moving on to the main discussion and also shout outs to all the people who listen to EP3, <laughs> Defining Blackness with Ayana. Check that out if you haven't already. The only other thing I have to say is that this is the start of the official housing series for me, and I'm super excited. Uh, housing and the future of it is one of the biggest topics shaping foster care, and I want to do a deep dive of my experiences to shed some light on some things. So here, without further ado, let's do it. Uh, getting your first apartment or just getting your apartment in general is probably one of the biggest move moments when you're in foster care. After years of uncertainty, home hopping to another stranger or facing the embarrassment and frustration of having to leave yet another home, getting your apartment is like the apex of stability. Finally, you have an apartment, you have the keys and the stability you may never have had before. Oftentimes, all my peers talked about housing, the thing we all desire, the ultimate independence. Hey, what's the status of your housing? Which borough did you apply for on your application? Did you get a studio or a one bedroom? I would always get a nervous excitement when housing came up. In today's topic, I talk about getting my, my apartment, the feelings that came up, and how I adjusted to life on my own. In May 2015, it all happened when I happened to go to the to my old agency, Little Flowers in Brooklyn. I actually forgot why I got I was there, but I received the news that I had gotten my apartment. I couldn't believe it. After four long years, I was finally getting my apartment. Apparently, I was going to be in Queensbridge Projects, a.k.a. QB. One of the case managers chimed in with, wait, Queensbridge? I heard that place is dangerous. 
I was just like, I don't really care. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Uh, it took four years to get my place, so I wasn't about to be picky right now. So I could tell some of the people were a bit nervous, a little excited for me. It was just a lot to take in. At the time, I was still living with my aunt after I aged out. I was paying her rent each month, and while I liked it, I wanted something more. When I got back, my aunt was upset that I didn't tell her. I tried explaining that I had just found out myself, but she gave me a look like she didn't believe me. I got a letter stating that I needed to come into the management office to check out my apartment in the next few days. I would have loved my aunt to have come, but she had work in the morning, so... I didn't really know what to expect going into it, so having an extra person would have give, given me some reassurance. Also, another thing I feel like is that there wasn't any other former foster youth who had gotten their NYCHA apartment either, so that made this whole process just kind of unknown for me, and uh, it just would have been nice to have some kind of expectation going into it. But I went to the management office and was greeted by my housing manager. We went outside where he showed me over to where I would eventually live. The place was okay. It was fine. The apartment had no flair. The paint job looked incomplete like it was done at the last second to look okay. As a studio apartment, the place was kind of small but bigger than my aunt's room so it felt like an upgrade. Overall, I wasn't really too impressed but it seemed to do just fine for a guy like myself in his early 20s. The thought that uh, the thought that was um, that I would probably never spend too much time there anyway because of the size. Uh, I was working combined with exploring New York City, so who has the time to be in their apartment anyway? And he asked me, "Are you sure you want this?" And I'm like, "Duh, of course. <laughs> if I don't accept it, I won't be able to get an apartment for a long time." So he gave me a sheet detailing exactly how much I would pay for, to secure my apartment. And the deadline. I went away from the meeting feeling energized, nervous, and excited. My big step in adulthood. As it turns out, I barely had enough money to cover my deposit for the apartment. I was working a part-time job as a youth advocate at Vibrant Emotional Health, and I wasn't making much. I asked my aunt if I could borrow some money, but she declined. Just use your savings account. Yeah, well, I would use my savings, but I don't really have too much. She just shrugged and went about her day. And I get that she had her own bills to pay, but I was disheartened at the fact of not being able to rely on the woman that had been supporting me for five years. I asked around and managed to scrap almost $100. My deposit was $545 and I still needed $200 more. I had to wait a week to get my paycheck and get the money to secure my apartment. According to the manager, if I waited a day longer, I would have been passed over for another person. I panicked because I would have lost my chance at finding permanent housing. So I got a tour of my apartment. I somehow managed to secure it at the nick of time. And I received my keys to my apartment. So everything is going well, right? Nope. Another curveball because I can't catch a damn break in life. <laughs> Two days later, very early in the morning on Sunday, no less, around six or seven, my, my aunt wakes me up and tells me to pack everything up I have. Not only am I tired, but now I'm just throwing every relevant thing inside a garbage bag. I cleaned out my whole room within three hours, and my aunt and her partner are already waiting out front for me. But more than tiredness, there's confusion in all this. 
from the last two days, I never got the impression that I would somehow have to pack my things. There was never a mention of leaving or any indication of packing. I had questions, but nothing came out as I packed my stuff into the car. I wasn't mentally ready to leave yet. I wish I had a few things, a few days to process what was happening. It felt like things were moving too fast. The drive to my new home was definitely quiet. I had racing thoughts, but I tried to occupy my mind by daydreaming about all the new things I would be able to do, like have no pants in my apartment or eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream at three in the morning. So we all get out and start unloading things and heading into my new apartment. My aunt and her partner look around for a few minutes and remark that it's a decent amount of space for one guy, and this is better than most I've seen. For some context, my aunt retired as an assistant manager at NYCHA building in Brooklyn. That's right. She was literally, she has literally been doing the same job as the man I met who did my tour for decades. She left some little things like soap and water bottles, and before I knew it, I was left by myself. I had less than $100 in my account, two huge garbage bags full of my belongings, and an apartment that suddenly became my new home. I had some of the most mixed emotions welling up inside me. On one hand, I was ecstatic, giddy, all that. I had a freaking apartment for myself. Listen, we all have different views on what's what's that turning point in adulthood for us. Maybe it's just being 21 or 18. Maybe it's when you first have sex. Maybe it's graduating high school or college. But for but for me, I was told that getting your own place, being independent, was what made you truly an adult. But then on the other hand, it was empty too. Outside of my family congratulating me after the news, there was nothing else. I imagined tears overflowing, a dozen people cheering me on, little gifts to help make my apartment look nice, etc., Instead, I was left wondering, what the heck do I do now? My first night was unpleasant, to say the least. I had no futon or bed. I didn't even have a water bed. And sure, I could spend the money to get that. Oh, wait, only $100 left. And even then, I had to sacrifice other things like food and toiletries. So I ended up sleeping on the floor. Now, two weeks before all this, I was able to use my furniture voucher at ACS to get me the basic furniture that I needed. I had bought a futon, a dresser, dining room set, and a little chair to make my home, well, feel like a home. Awesome, right? Only thing is, the place was in Brooklyn. This really shouldn't have been an issue, even though I live in Queens, but for whatever reason, they kept having delays getting my, my furniture. I had to wait nearly a month before I got my furniture. For all the trouble they gave me, they did reimburse me, which was nice since I was dead broke, but that doesn't help when my back is hurting from sleeping on the floor. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was a rainy Saturday afternoon and the company swore up and down that the furniture was coming. Finally, I saw two men coming down with large boxes and I jumped. The guy set everything up and with the exception of my things getting a little wet, the process was smooth. The wait was over. I didn't have other essential things like a fire extinguisher, air conditioner, storage bins, among other things, but my place was starting to feel like a home, my own. It might have been one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in New York City, but that did not matter to me. The futon I slept on, which I still have, made me sleep like a baby. 
I never felt so grateful to have a place to lay my head. And that's the thing. It should never get to that point. All foster youth should have shouldn't have to worry about a safe, loving place to call home. And while I got the furniture voucher from my agency approved through through ACE. <clears throat> through ACS, Administration for Children's Services, it still didn't take care of all my essential needs like I mentioned before. Shame on you, ACS. I'm disappointed in you. You let me and hundreds of other kids down. As kids getting out of the foster care system, we shouldn't be paying out of pocket for these kinds of things. Overall, it was a mostly positive experience. But I'm comparing that to the alternative. Homelessness, couch surfing, being kicked out of your foster family's home. It's a grim world and you need all the advantages you could get to have a decent shot at adulthood with ever increasing prices. You may have noticed I didn't talk about things like my first impressions of Queensbridge, stereotypes of living in the hood, my previous experience living in, in the hood, among other things. I'll be doing a part two, a continuation of sorts, going into more depth about Queensbridge and where my thoughts are currently uh, at for that. But for now, that's my overall impressions of getting my place and the experiences that unfolded. I hope this gives every former foster youth and current foster youth, foster youth in the country a real look at post foster care. I hope this gives you some validation. I hope this allows you to know what you're feeling is valid and justified. Thanks for tuning in and keep hope alive. This is Tony Dorellis. Thanks for dropping in. Peace.